Years ago, St. Louis piloted an innovative program pairing police officers with social workers. But it came to an abrupt halt for all too predictable reasons. We explored that history on today's St. Louis on the Air. Back in the 80s, there was all kinds of federal money that came down to police departments for social service and community action programs. You know, since then, it's all been turned into buying tanks and guns and bigger cars, etc. But back in the 80s, there was money for that. When that money ran out, then they didn't want to pay for it. I'm Sarah Fenske. This is St. Louis on the Air. And before we move on, I want to remind you that the biggest source of St. Louis Public Radio's funding comes from listeners like you. Because you value what you hear on St. Louis on the Air, donate today. Go to stlpr.org donate. That's stlpr.org donate. A few weeks ago, we discussed on this show the launch of a new program called Cops and Clinicians. After a very limited pilot, the city of St. Louis is gearing up to start diverting some 911 calls to mental health professionals by January. It will also begin to pair social workers with police officers in responding to certain calls. The program represents a big change for St. Louis policing, but in some ways, it's nothing new. Decades ago, the city launched a pilot program that used social workers to respond to certain calls. It had a three-year run before being jettisoned. So what happened? The city seems to never talk about this program today. We only found out about it from two of our listeners who reached out via our St. Louis on the Air Facebook page when we were talking about this, uh, Cops and Clinicians. They heard our discussion and wanted to supply some context. It was great context, and we wanted to know more. So we thought we'd go straight to the source. Amy Hilgeman is a retired mental health and crisis intervention professional. She ran the city's previous program, and she joins us today. So Amy Hilgeman, welcome. Welcome to the show. Good afternoon. I'm so glad that you're able to join us to share this important context about this program uh, that you ran. Um, and this was, again, back in the 80s. Set the scene for us. How did you get involved with this program back in the day? Well, I had been working at Life Crisis, which was um, a call-in crisis line and served the metropolitan area. So a job came up and I applied for the job at Magdala Foundation to be uh, a program director for the crisis program in the police departments. We had offices in two different, back then they had nine districts. We had offices in the third and the seventh district, which put us in North St. Louis and South St. Louis. Okay. So one in North, one in South. Um, And I understand this program was called Crisis Intervention Services. So as part of this program, how did you end up interacting with police um, and and taking these calls? Well, we had a set protocol, which everybody in the police department operates under protocols. So we, each person, we had two people working per shift, carried a police radio. We had identification numbers that they would call on the radio, which means they were trying to contact us. We were 8313 and 8713. <laughs> and then a police officer would let the complaint evaluator know that they needed a social worker, which we were all master's level, a social worker to come to assist them at the scene. Sometimes they would tell us if it was a homeless person or a mentally ill, but sometimes they didn't tell us anything. So then we would respond to the address that they gave us and meet the police officers at the home. 
Okay. So you would meet the police officers there. What happened then and generally? I know I'm sure every call had its own nuances, but uh, what would be next for your protocol? So what we did was the police officers usually came out and met us and gave us a description of what the encounter was. So we would go in with them. They would introduce us to the family or the individual, and sometimes they would stay Usually they'd stay a few minutes just to make sure everything was calm, mm-hmm. and then they would leave, and we would uh, they would code the call to us, and we would know um, that we were there to deal with whatever the situation was, and we had all kinds of situations, you know, mentally ill people that we needed to take to back then Nucleus for commitment, uh, people that were walkaways from nursing homes that could take hours and hours and hours for police to figure out. Where did they come from? We would do that. Um, we In the summer, we did a lot of neighborhood disputes, which meant, you know, two or three families were having a big commotion out in the street, and the police were called. And we usually what we did on those, because there were so many people involved, was we had the paddy wagon come out, and we brought everybody to the station. And then we would just have a big group meeting. And, you know, a lot of times when you did stuff like that, you found out that the whole thing was about two kids that were four years old fighting over a stick. (laughs) Next thing you know, you had three families and a big brawl in the street. So we, uh, one of the things that we did that they really uh, appreciated was there's people who call the police a lot. Mm -hmm. And there's people who call for ambulances a lot. And it may or may not be for a need. And would give us those cases and those we were very successful in ameliorating why people you know we call the police and if it was a mental health issue we would get the services that they needed or if it was just somebody that needed a better way to get medical services which sometimes that was involving family mm-hmm. one of the things that we did do on our cases is that we always did a follow-up so five to seven days later we would make contact with the family again to make sure that they were able to access the referrals that we made or if they discovered that they had other things that they needed. Okay. So, I mean, this sounds this sounds great, but the part where I'm, I, my brain is kind of getting stuck is you're saying the police would just walk away. They, they determined that this was then your call. You guys were handling things from there. In some cases, you're dealing with feuding neighbors. Did things ever get dangerous for, for you social workers there on the scene? Well, one time uh, we got a call from two police officers in the 7th District, and they wanted us just, they had gotten a call for an elderly lady. And, you know, back when there were nine districts, police officers actually kind of knew the people in the community Mm because they worked in smaller areas. And they knew this woman. And they said she calls a lot, and she calls about nothing, so why don't you guys just go out there? And we said, no, that's not how it works. You go there, and then you call us, and we'll see what we can do. Well, they get there, and she shoots them, both oh. of them. Oh, my goodness. The old <laughs> they had woman? on their vest. They were fine. They were just a few injuries. But that could have been us, you know. So, you know, it was really required that they go there first. They go there first. Even on cases that you wouldn't think, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. But it does seem like there's a key difference between the way you guys did this in the 80s and what I'm hearing from the city that they envisioned today. And that is the fact that the officers would leave after they'd been there a couple minutes um, in, in the program right. you guys had. You guys took things from there. What was the thinking on that, not having the officers stick around? Well, it defeats the purpose. It's not a police matter all of a sudden turned over to us because it's no longer a police matter. People call the police for things that they don't know who else to call. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, it's 7 o'clock at night, you don't know what to do, or, you know, 11 o'clock at night. So people call the police, and they end up dealing, and there's statistics on this, I don't know what the recent ones was are, but they deal with so many non-police matters, and that's what ties up their time. So we were able, and they were able to prove, because we actually, these cut cases were coded to us, we could prove how much time we saved by taking examples of cases that had the same kind of call code that they didn't call us and how long it took the officer to ameliorate the situation as opposed to us getting there, taking them back, putting them back on the street and us handling it. So it did save. And, and right now, police are, you know, screaming that they don't have enough police officers or they can't find them. They can't. Mm-hmm. This is a program that truly would allow the police officer to do police work and not do social work. And I think that, you know, most importantly, this is the type of program that Black Lives Matters is asking for. This is what people really need, some way to access social services and not just, you know, I've I've been social my whole life. I'm an administrator. I've done direct practice. You can refer somebody somewhere, and that doesn't mean they get the service. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, as a social worker, you got to go in and knock down and kick in another social service door to make sure that your client gets the service. And that's what we would do by doing our follow-ups. We were there to guarantee that people got what they needed. Well, Amy, this, I mean, you make such a great case. And, and, you know, this wasn't theoretical for you. You were there on the ground doing this work. I guess where I get stuck is... What happened to this program? It seems like the city was onto something decades before people are talking about how we need social workers handling these calls. St. Louis was doing it. Do you have any idea right. Wh- right. why why the city pulled the plug? Well, in the beginning, they didn't actually pay for the service. The service was contracted through uh, federal grant funds. Back in the 80s, there was all kinds of federal money that came down to police departments for social service and community action programs. You know, since then, it's all been turned into buying tanks and guns and bigger cars, etc. But back in the 80s, there was money for that. When that money ran out, then they didn't want to pay for it. The city didn't want to have to use its own funds for that. No, the police department, it wasn't the city then. The police department was a separate entity governed by a separate board that didn't have any city control. So it was, they got their budget through the legislature. They didn't want to, they didn't want to ask for the money for it. And Amy, you make a great point. I had forgotten this and and shame on me for forgetting this. But yeah, back in the 80s, um, the city did not have local control of its its police department. They answered to this state board. And as you say, they did not even want to ask for the funding on this. It's it's interesting because, as you say, it sounds like this was sparing police officers from the kind of calls that, frankly, from talking to cops, cops don't enjoy these kind of calls. This is, there's, as you say, a lot of work that goes into this. And it sounds like you were able to, to take these off their plate. Any sense of, right. of, of what would have been the holdup, why they wouldn't have been happy to try to steer this to, to social workers instead? Well, I don't think I need to explain it. We need to look at what the problem is right now with police departments across the country. They want to protect what they have. Mm-hmm. They do not want to spend any money in any other programs, even though there's a cry from city after city after city. So it's the same old protect your own um, you know that this maybe felt like a threat to them continuing to have the st- the, well, the staffing they can and buy more. They can buy. They they thought they could get more police officers, or they could 
get more cars or I don't, I mean, the program didn't cost much. It really didn't. And we were paid, you know, even police officers don't make much money, but you know, we did not make more than they did. So yes, social workers are not known for their giant salaries. Right, right. No, it's just a mindset that existed then and it exists now. So, you know, the police department could have set up a program like this, but they didn't want to because they didn't want to spend the money. So what do they do? They have a social worker right around with a police officer. That defeats the whole purpose. Who decides what calls are taken? Who decides how long the social worker stays on the call? What, who's in charge? Yeah. The police officer. So that's not a social, that's not a crisis program. So you have that's some real enough. concerns about what you're hearing about how this new program is set up. Right. If if somebody came into your home as a social worker and the cop is sitting there, you know, wagging his foot at the door waiting for you to get done, would you feel like you were having a the proper kind of social service intervention? No. Yeah. That no. seems like that's a real problem. And and something else I wonder about is the idea of intimidation, that some people are just nervous sure. about speaking right. frankly in front of a police officer. Right. Right. Exactly. Did you find in the calls that you took that after the police officers left that maybe families were able to open up more about certain types of needs or issues um, with with social workers? I would say that sometimes the call that we got for the problem was really the tip of the iceberg, and mm-hmm. they were not about to explain that to the police because they didn't really want – they wanted some help, but they didn't, you know, they didn't know what else to do. Um, you know, like, for instance, we had a call where – there was um, some teenage kids in the basement. I think it was on Russell. And they were playing Russian roulette with their dad's gun. Mm-hmm. And one of them got their head blown off. And so the cops go out there, of course. And then they call for us because the parents were so distraught. Everybody it was just chaos. And they, you know, they were trying to maintain control and get, you know, the proper, the corner and all this stuff out there. And, or the medical, and, they called us to come in and to try to calm down the family. The other family of the other kids were there. And so it was just an assistance so that we could pull these people aside while they actually did the crime scene. Mm-hmm. And um, so there's just a lot of things that we could do that, you know, there wasn't really any remedy for the parents. There wasn't any, you know, we weren't going to have any cathartic, go, you know, oh, gee whiz, it happened. You know, we just wanted to give the officers the ability to do the job on the police part. Mm-hmm. So there's just a lot of things that can be done. And, you know, one of the things that we really had to work at was educating the officers about using the program. Because they, some of them didn't know how, some of them never used it. Some of them used it all the time. So, you know, really different officers had different feelings about it. So we always had to work on educating the officers and really trying to spend some time. You know, we would go to the different roll calls. We ended up working citywide, so we handled cases all over. And so we'd go to the roll calls and talk to the officers. And, you know, we did that at least once a month just to continue to, you know, if we weren't in the 5th District, they weren't going to think about us as much because we didn't have an office there. So we tried to really do a lot of 
work with, you know, establishing relationships with the officers. Hmm. Well, Amy, hearing about this experience, it just seems remarkable. And um, boy, it just seems like the city lost decades. We could have been yeah. so far ahead of the curve. And here we right. are just starting from scratch again and, and starting in some ways that, that, frankly, you are very skeptical about whether or not they're even going to work. In our final minute here, um, what is the one thing you'd hope to convey to people who are thinking about this program today and thinking about the experience that you had back in the day? What, what would you hope people take away from this conversation? that we need to integrate into the police department a program that's whole purpose is to help people get the services, social services, mental health services that they need. And it's obviously a need. It's come up across the country. Um, it's just critical. And I would, I would hope that people would, you know, say this is what we need and maybe put their words towards to their aldermen or to the mayor. Mm-hmm. Well, Amy or Hogeman, our next, our next mayor. <laughs> well, Amy Hogeman, you've provided such a valuable perspective here today. I want to thank you so much for joining us and, and sharing this information. Well, thank you, Sarah. It was a nice honor. Thank you. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.